0: Welcome to Living Free Today, a ministry of Cornerstone Fellowship in San Lorenzo, California. These podcasts are the weekly sermons of Dr. Michael L. Wilson. Today is October 31st, which, going back to 1517, became known as Reformation Day. The whole Halloween thing is actually very recent in how we celebrate it. We spend mm, as much money on Halloween. Halloween is second only to Christmas, actually. And so that's back in 1517. It was just another day, and Martin Luther, a Catholic monk, broke from the Catholic Church ...on this day by nailing his 95 ideas to the wall of the Wittenberg Church. And so, happy Halloween, but mostly happy Reformation Day, October 31st. If you would open your Bible to Luke 16. Luke 16, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 13... This is the parable of the dishonest manager is one of the titles that has been given to it. It is a difficult parable and if you have any book that's entitled The Hard Sayings of Jesus or something like that, this parable will be in there. And it's a difficult one because the hero of the parable is an embezzler and a thief. And his boss in the parable praises him and Jesus praises him. And so when we look at this parable, it's not like the prodigal son. You know, I can say, well, I'm the prodigal son and I'm going back and God loves me and I'm restored and I can get these various teachings from within this. But just the characters alone in this parable, I am not any of these parable characters And when you look at blatant sin like this, you wonder why Jesus is not saying, don't be like this. But Jesus is saying, be like this. And so we are going to look at how this works. This parable is about money. In 1972, Liza Minnelli made her debut in film with the film Cabaret, which took place in 1931 Berlin. And there was a song in that movie entitled, Money Makes the World Go Round, and a lot of people praise that song as being true on TV. There is a show that started in 2007 and is still going strong, and it's called American Greed, and it talks about each episode is about an individual who put money in front of people who took money, stole from people, or ripped people off, or had a Ponzi scheme or something, and it's been going 26 episodes a year since 2007, and it looks like it's going to keep on going. So there's, a, there's no uh, lack of stories of people who love money, who put money in front of people. And so when we talk about this sort of thing, this idea of money, we have to ask the question, we as a church, how do we get money and how does a church use money? And we shall look at that and other things and individuals uh, later. But first of all, John MacArthur and other commentators give uh, four legal ways for a church to get money for a person to get money the first is you work for it Uh, we have jobs Uh, churches can have fundraisers and things of this nature secondly we save it and we use it to gain interest Uh, this is more like investments and there are people who have done very well in investments Uh, There are churches, I know of a church in Oakland that through various bequests ended up with about $700,000 and they were able through shrewd investing to turn it into several million dollars and really give the church a uh, much needed upgrade is what they did with it. Third is we can plan and use resources. Uh, One thing this church does is we rent to three other churches and they need a place to to be, to have their services. And so we offer this place to them and so they use their money to get a place to worship and we use our place to give them a place to worship. And then fourth, and this is mostly how churches operate, is we operate under gifts and donations uh, people give money to a church. We are, there are tax rules about how you can give money to the church and be benefited from it. And so some people say, well, it's a good use of your money to give it to a church. In this passage, in this parable, the two ways that are sinful to get money is embezzlement and theft. If you are involved in embezzlement or theft, Or if you know of a church that is involved in embezzlement or theft, uh, that is a sin. And it is only a matter of time till you end up on American greed. Uh, One reason I watch it is to see if there's anybody on there I know, because the world is a evil, greedy place. And so we come to the parable. It starts by saying, he also said to the disciples, so this is Uh, The 12 and other close people, these are people who are believers in Jesus Christ, these are not the Pharisees, these are not the scribes, this is not a fighting sort of parable, that he's talking against people, it is a teaching parable, that he is talking to people who believe in him, who believe that he speaks through God. And it says there's a rich man. And you say, how rich is this rich man? Well, this rich man had a manager. This, man, this rich man also had the ability to lend large sums of money to people. And so he had wealth such that he could help people out with loans. And these are harvest loans, and we shall look at that. And he also had a manager. And so it is believed that this person was remote or out of town because he hears reports. He doesn't see the manager doing bad things. And so he's probably away, maybe in another country. Maybe he has resources in this country or resources in this country, and he hires people to manage them. So he's very wealthy. When we say rich, how rich? He's very, very rich. He's a very wealthy person who has a lot of resources. And so he has a manager and charges are brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And the word wasting is the same word that is used in the prodigal son when the prodigal son squandered his father's money. And so this is the same word he is squandering. He is just randomly spending it. He's not giving much thought. He is reckless with the person's money. Now the manager... Is hired to manage the account, to manage the accounts in this loan area, and to manage the people. And if he is taking the money and spending it on himself, that is wasting, that is squandering, and that apparently is what is being done here. He he is probably an embezzler then, if I take somebody else's money for myself, if I take a company's money. For myself, the law calls that embezzlement is when I take it and that would put me in jail if I am convicted. And so he calls in the manager and he tells the manager, you've been squandering the money and I'm going to fire you, but not yet. Before I fire you, I want you to give me a balance sheet and a profit and loss statement. I want you to write out the accounts so that I can see where the money's going, so I can see how much money is going here and how much money is missing. And the person says, what shall I do since my manager is going to fire me and I'm too weak to dig and I'm too proud to beg? And so this person um, has whatever physical situation they have and he sees the only options for him is digging ditches and begging at the temple and he says he doesn't want to do any of those things so what shall he do? And so he goes to the person who owes him uh, 100 measures of oil and he says quickly write 50 and he goes to another and they owe 100 measures of wheat and he says write 80 and the manager says very shrewd I commend you for doing this embezzlement and this theft and that's where it gets confusing so what sort of debts are these? These are called harvest debts so you had a person who had olive trees And this person did not have enough money to take them until the harvest where they could press the olives and get olive oil. So they go to this bank and they say, give me a loan so that I can plant more trees or hire more workers. And then when I um, press the olives, I will give you a hundred measures or a hundred gallons of olive oil. And the other is with wheat. They have a field full of wheat. It is not ready for harvest yet. And so they need a bridge loan to take them to the time of harvest. So they go to the person who has the money, the bank, and they say, give me money to survive. And then when I harvest my wheat, I will give you a hundred measures of wheat as a return on your money. So the application for this um, is in the words and the verses after that. But first, we need to ask the question: How much is a hundred measures of oil? How much is a hundred measures of wheat? The hundred me- the let's see. So the olive oil being very expensive, it is estimated that the oil, that a hundred measures of oil, if you were to buy it, if you were to go to the store and buy a hundred measures of oil, it would take 13 years of your wages as a day laborer, as a laborer who gets a denarii a day. It would take 13 years to do that. It would take four and a half or five years to buy that much wheat. So these are large debts. These are large um, indebtedness to this person. And what this person does is says, goes and says, you have 100 measures of oil, write down 50. You have 100 measures of wheat, write down 80. Now to understand that, if this happened today, the manager would just come and say, I fired that guy last week. You still owe me 100 and 100 That's kind of how it would go today. You might get involved in a lawsuit. Back then, it was, they viewed debt and honor a lot differently than we do. If, for example, you're coming to church today and I open the door for you and let you walk in, opening the door for you puts you in debt to me, back in ancient Jewish thought. I have done a nice free thing for you, and that puts you in debt to me. If I open five times in a row, you never open. You are now in debt to me five door openings, and you could pay me back by opening the door for me, or I could come up with some creative way for you to pay me back. If we look in the Old Testament, the idea of not being in debt to people, Abraham wanted to buy a place to bury his wife. His wife, Sarah, had died. So he goes to the Hittite people. He says, I like that cave at the end of the street. I want to buy it from you. And they say, let me give it to you. In our society, we might say, great, a free cave. In Abraham's thought, in Abraham's mind, if I take that free cave, I will now be indebted to the Hittite people for whatever they say it's worth, which was 400 pieces of silver is what he eventually pays. And so they argue back and forth. The guy says, ah, what's a cave? I'll give you the cave. He goes, ah, what's 400 shekels? I'll give you. And they go back and forth, and it seems kind of odd to our mind, but what's happening is the Hittite town wants to make Abraham indebted to them. They wanted to hold something over Abraham, and that is something that Abraham, being a servant of God, said I will not do that and therefore he paid the money and he got the cave and for generations people were buried in the cave and so as a manager and you owe my boss 100 bucks and I come to you and I say write down 50, you only owe my manager 50 bucks I have now put you in debt to me I have now put you in debt to me Yeah, seven years worth of wages on the oil. I have now put you in debt to me something that you cannot immediately repay because you were in debt physically to the manager. The manager cannot come and say, oh, let me reverse that. This is a loser because that goes bad on the manager. The manager didn't fire him immediately said, give me an accounting, then I'm going to fire you. And so because he was still an agent for the manager, in ancient Jewish thought, the manager, the master, cannot reverse what he said. He was acting on his behalf. If the manager were to reverse what he said, it would have been an untrustworthy, no one would trust that manager ever again. And so what this person is doing is he is creating indebtedness so after he's unemployed he can knock on the door of the person who owed the oil and says i'm home i get to stay here and the guy who did it who cut the thing in half cannot say no if he were to say no then he could go to the city gate and he could talk about how bad this person is he doesn't pay his debts he, does, he has no honor these sorts of things so in a very cultural sense this is a very shrewd thing to do. He's taking care of his housing and food for the next seven to ten years because he was bringing people in debt to him for doing such a favor. And so Jesus says, that's very shrewd and that's how the world works. That is how the world in Jesus' day works. That's not how Christians work. That's not how the church works. This is an example, a parable of how the world uses money and indebtedness and honor to benefit themselves. How people manipulate other people. How people lie and cheat and embezzle to benefit themselves. That is what this parable is about. Unsafe people, people who love money perhaps, people who who don't care about God, live their lives manipulating people, making people in debt to them, bringing about these sorts of relationships so that they will be taken care of. What this person is doing is he is securing his future in a way that a worldly person would do it. We we can look at this and say, well, that's not how Christians should behave. And that's true. But this is not a parable about how Christians should behave. This is an explanation about how the world behaves, how the unsaved people behave. And we can see it in our world today, how money is used by the unsaved and how money is used by those who worship God how the unsaved live their lives and manage their resources and manipulate people and bring people into debt to them and lend to people and and put pressure on people. And we look at how the Christians behave, and we behave out of love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, Self-control, is that nine? Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness. as I say gentle, kindness, self-control? There's nine. Are the fruit of the spirit. And so we operate on a different motivation. And what Jesus is saying, we look at them, and the unsaved have built a world that really works for them. You, you know the name of several billionaires, not because they ever did anything for you, but they've managed the media and they've managed uh, the news such that you know their name, that decades, a hundred years after Bill Gates is dead, You will remember Bill Gates, Steve Jobs of Apple died a long time ago, but people still remember the anniversary of things that he did. As a very wealthy person, he said, remember me and I will live on in your memory. And we say, okay. And we remember these people and we know who they are because they are using their wealth to be remembered, to build a future. They are using their wealth to impact the world around them so that they will be taken care of and we will remember them after they're gone. Of course, if they're unsaved, there is nothing good for them after they die. So that's all they can build. But we look at our lives and we say, I know what's coming. I know Jesus Christ is coming back. I know there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. I know there are going to be streets of gold. I know that I am going to be in God's glory for all eternity. I can't buy it. I can't earn it. It is a gift. So then I need to say, how can I use my money to better my future. And if if you look at 20 commentators, there's 20 different applications of this. A lot of people don't really know what to do with this. But I think the most basic teaching of this is that if I use my money for the kingdom of God, either for evangelism efforts, missionary efforts, or church efforts, or helping efforts. I can give my money to those who feed the hungry, for example. I can give my money to various organizations that spread God's love and build the kingdom. And when we look at treasure in heaven... Okay. There are several verses that talk about treasure in heaven where moth and rust does not destroy instead of hay, wood, and stubble. The idea of using your money for the kingdom of God is treasure in heaven, is, is good things in your account. And then there's consequences. It says in verse 10, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much And who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If you have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? And people look at this and say, this is evidence that we are in a test, that the... 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100, how many years you are on this planet, you are being tested. Things are being put in your path and you get to choose how to do them. And some God has made some Christians very wealthy as a test. God has made some Christians very poor as a test. And when we... Do things, if I have 10 cents and I am godly and righteous with my 10 cents, this passage says eventually I'm going to get a dollar. As an example, if I take my 10 cents and I waste it or I squander it or I spend it on something sinful, then when the time comes for my accounts to be Looked at, I won't be given the dollar because I didn't handle what I was given here. Now, your salvation has nothing to do with how you handle your money. You won't, if you waste your money, if you are just a lousy money manager and just it all goes down the tubes, when you get to heaven, God's not going to say, Well, you didn't save the money for the kingdom, therefore you're not saved. That is not how it works. You are saved, you're just a bad money manager. And we don't know, I mean, standing in the glory of God or standing in the glory of God with a nice robe, I don't know how rewards and stuff is going to happen in heaven I am aware for myself that I am saved by grace and any good things I do is by grace and I try to do what God would have me to do. The idea that my eternity is going to be reward or punishment is not true. There is no punishment in heaven. There is no God being mad at you in heaven. There is it seems to be, uh, different levels of of authority. Um, It does say that all Christians shall rule in heaven. I don't know what we're going to rule, but we are going to rule in heaven. We all get to live in in the golden diamond city with Jesus Christ. But the idea that We can be very casual and do whatever we want with the resources that God has given to us. Or we, like the widow and her mites, can look at the last two coins that she had and she puts it in the offering. And Jesus said that person gave more than the Pharisee who brought a dump truck of money that she gave out of her lack. And so the idea that God puts each of us, and I can't even give a list of all of the situations and tests because there's a billion of them. God puts each of us in a situation for us to make choices for Him or against Him. And money is part of that. Time is part of that. Attitude about situations is part of that. It then ends with no one can serve two masters, either you'll hate the one and love the other, love the one, hate the other. You can't serve God and money. And you say, wow, I hope I don't serve money. Well, you can examine that. I think that there are a, a vast majority of the unsaved people serve money. Interestingly enough, of the various calls I got, get and people come to the door that These things disappeared during COVID. Well, they're gearing back up again of people asking for stuff. Everybody asks for money. Nobody asks for clothing or food or shoes or anything like that. Everybody asks for money, and they have this view, which I don't understand, that churches have these large reserves of cash that we're just going to hand out to anybody who asks. I don't know any church that does that. But yet people still come to churches and say, give me money. I was in a text discussion with somebody who was texting me, saying, that I'd giving all the reasons why I should give her large amounts of money and wouldn't take no as an answer, so I finally blocked the number. But that is the view of the world, is that if I only had a little more money, if I only had a lot more money, then I would be in a better situation. People who have been polled about the future. It has been found out that your average person out there has a plan for when they win the lottery. But they don't really have a plan of what they're going to do with their next paycheck. And so we, we can plan and dream about the, the great, fantastic you know, income of cash but our day-to-day thing, we don't really seem to think about whether saved or unsaved. And the the people who do the polls don't ask people if they're saved because they don't care. The average person just is very casual with their money. Some people are very good at budgeting. Some people are not very good at budgeting. Um, but we just need to see: Am I building this for the kingdom? Or am I building this uh, up for me? Uh, You love money. If if money is your first thought in the morning and the last thought at night, if you're constantly thinking about money and how to get more, then you may have a love with money issue. If you love God, then God is your first thought in the morning. God is your last thought at night. And you're thinking about God and his kingdom throughout the day. What you think about is what you will spend your time with. It's what you'll spend your focus at. It's what you'll look at. And it is either, apparently, in the time of Jesus, because there's no other dichotomy like this given. It's either God or money. The money is a God replacement, therefore. And so then... We need to be faithful. That's the word that is used throughout Scripture. We need to be faithful with God has given to us. There is a verse which is constantly misquoted, and that's 1 Timothy 6.10. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money, not money, is the love of money, is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierce themselves with many pangs. The word pangs is the word that is used for birth pangs uh, that you are in as much pain about not having money as a woman giving birth. And it is the love of money, not money. Money is neutral. Money has no value unless we give it a value. And so the idea that I can love money and love God, well, the Bible says you can't. I can use money. Money is a tool. I can use it for the kingdom. Jesus paid his taxes. He got his tax money out of the mouth of a fish. You can try that. But we, we are given money to, to pay our taxes, to pay the things we have to pay, to pay our water and our sewer and our electric and our cable and all the things we pay God is providing money for that, and how we handle that money, how we think about the money, how we worry about money will show our love relationship or not. It has been said you can't walk with God holding hands with the devil. We can play around with sinful things, we can play around with sinful money desires. And the the thought that God's not going to find out or God doesn't care is clear from Scripture that's not true. Jesus made up this story and told it to his disciples as a teaching. And so we have to take it seriously as to what this is saying, that the world handles money a certain way Christians handle money differently. They handle money for the purpose of securing their future, whether big houses or a mausoleum or in the memory of others. We use our money to secure eternal futures for ourselves and for others. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, I thank you for this. I just pray that this will be a time of self-examination, that I can look in the mirror and I can say, how did I use my money last week? Did I squander it on myself, or did I use it for the kingdom? Lord, I pray that you would speak to each of us, give us all individually direction and thought as to what to do and how to change anything that needs to be changed. Help us understand that we cannot serve you and money I pray that you would cause us to serve you and use money for the kingdom. We ask all this through the blood of Christ. Amen.